Before we begin today's show, I want to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee. Haven't tried it yet? We're selling it cold brew at the DNVR bar. You can also subscribe and save 20% with a Strava Craft Coffee subscription. We know a bunch of you have taken advantage of that one-time code, and now you can save 20% off your favorite coffee forever. You'll never have to put in your credit card info again. Support our partners, Strava Craft Coffee, the CBD-infused coffee that helps with backaches, migraines, all kinds of different uh, issues, and also tastes great. And of course, right here uh, in Colorado, Colorado Company. Purchase online, 20% off using promo code DNVR20 or subscribe and save 20% on every order. What is up, everybody, and welcome into a notebook edition of the DNVR Nuggets podcast. I'm your host today, Adam Marez, riding solo as I walk you through some of my detailed notes from game four, painful game four uh, of this series with a day to sort of digest it, rewatch under my belt, detailed notes taken, and a new edition of the list be, uh, that'll be going up later on tonight. Want to walk you through some of the stuff that I saw. And it's unfortunate that this game went the way that it did because unlike... Um, you know, after game two, where I thought there was a lot of positive stuff from Denver, game four felt a little bit like an ending. I mean, we'll see. I've, game four in the Utah series felt like an ending as well, although, you know, Denver narrowly lost that one. There was a little bit more hope. Um, you know, this one felt a little bit like a, a coming to a head of several of Denver's frustrations. In many ways, it felt like a natural ending point for the Denver Nuggets, meaning if you look at a team and you think, okay, can you spot their virtues and vices throughout a season? And then in order to win a championship, that team has to sort of get rid themselves or overcome their weak points, their vices, um, and augment their virtues. This game, to me, especially on rewatch, really felt like all of Denver's sort of issues that had been evident throughout the season um, really coming to a head and, and obviously the most important one, which I think will come to define the season, which is of the role and integration of Michael Porter Jr. into this team. But let's get into the detailed notes here so I can go line by line. If you're new to this type of show in the notebook episodes, I just go in, in chronological order. I take notes as it goes. I make little bullet points and then I walk through those. So starting out, Denver's first five possessions of this game I think kind of define how it went. I, it, I I could be wrong. This could be five of six. I think it's the first five. I might have missed one when I was logging these here. Um, but here's how they went. Gary Harris with a turnover. Jamal Murray with a transition three. There was no advantage on the play. It was a Murray like, you know, two on four. Denver two players down, the Clippers four, and Murray, I think, trying to get himself going, did one of those pull-up. Not really contested, but, you know, if he misses it, there was no chance Denver would get a rebound. So Gary Harris turnover, Jamal Murray pull up three in transition, a shot clock violation, a Gary Harris missed three, and a Paul Millsap turnover. So you get two turnovers, three turnovers, um, and two three-pointers, and that was sort of the start of, of this. And to me, it was a, an extension of what we saw in the fourth quarter out of the Denver Nuggets, and this makes sense. To me, this series has really evolved. He threw out game one because I think Denver was just fatigued, and that was – I'm not trying to make the excuse, you know, they got blown out in that game and that game has not looked like any of the other games in terms of how the teams have played. Game two, Denver wins. The Clippers in game three, the Clippers don't really make any adjustments. Denver's rolling, gets off to that great start. 
And then the Clippers change up and say, okay, we know what we're going to do. We're going to crowd Jamal Murray. We're going to wall off Nikola Jokic by sending hard, fast double teams. And then we're going to you know, live with the, the things on the backside because Denver hasn't been very smart about opening things up on the backside. And they have players on the backside that aren't necessarily great at making difficult decisions or difficult shots. And Denver did not adjust. I felt like the first quarter of this game was exactly like the fourth quarter of game three three in in what the Clippers were doing and Denver just wasn't ready for it. It just they seemed extremely unprepared for the Clippers' game plan, which again I thought was obvious at the end of game three, and it was why Denver lost game three. Um so I talk about that double team. They're sending length and really, they're sending bodies early to Jokic. It's not one of these things where it's like, okay, if he gets into the paint, then this person rotates over and stops it. They're completely going aggressive two-man trap, almost the way you would like a Damian Lillard or a James Harden where it's like, hey, we're going to send it to him immediately. Sometimes they would wait till Jokic put the ball on the on the court, but most of the time they would just run a body full on, full commit uh, into a trap or a double team on Jokic and then zone up on the other side. And I thought Denver kind of played into this. No... First of all, there was no um, sort of counter. You know, it was really just throw it into Jokic. Everybody kind of stands still. You might get one cutter cutting through, but there was no like action to sort of take advantage for the Clippers being brought out of their um, their their core base defense. There was nothing there. It was just Jokic make a play when they double you. Just find the open man, and he found the open man a lot. Open man didn't knock down a lot of shots. And then on there were times where there wasn't an open man to the extent there should be because Denver was just kind of standing and watching him, and it was over and over and over again. Um, so I just – watching the opening of this game, it, it was – to me, what was so jarring the first time, but it was even more jarring the second time, is it looked like Denver was wholly unprepared for how they were going to attack what the Clippers were doing. Um, the, on the other end of the court, the Clippers were getting Zubats on the roll. They clearly had prepared for Denver, knowing Gary Harris was in there, and they positioned Gary Harris to be the backside helper. And Her Gary Harris is a very good defender. But when Zubats is rolling, Gary Harris, and I have these on the list, twice in a row to open this game met Zubats in the appropriate spot, meaning got all the way out in front of the restricted area and met him. But clearly the Clippers said, hey, we know how this is going to play out. He's going to rotate over, but he's so small, just turn and jump hook over him, and that's what he does. He scores on a jump hook with Gary Harris in perfect defensive position, and then Gary Harris picks up a foul, which would become a storyline, preventing another such basket where it was so obvious. So Clippers very clearly knew where the weak point was and, and specifically how to attack Gary Harris. It wasn't by trying to go at him one-on-one. -on -one. It was by putting him in that, that help side spot, and uh, it really paid dividends for him. Another play that stood out to me early on, you remember that Jokic spin move. I mean, points were so tough to come by. I think Jokic had eight of the first nine Nuggets points or something like that. He had this great spin move in the post on, on Zubats on the catch, and I put this one on the list because it was so gorgeous. Jokic's footwork on the catch, he actually – it doesn't, he doesn't need to. He's holding off the defender, but he actually jumps into the catch so that his pivot foot, what seemed like would be his right pivot foot, he's actually jumping to catch the defense off guard, and then his left becomes a pivot foot. And it's just a brilliant move. You'll have to see it on the list. I mean, worth subscribing to The DNVR. The list is up on thednvr.com for members only. Um, and this this clip, to me, it's a simple one, but boy, was it beautiful. Um, Murray was just completely struggling to get shots up for most of the night and it was in his head and I think remains in his head in the series because there is not being able to get open which is a big part of what's going on but then there's sort of being psychologically 
even when you are open, you're not ready to shoot because you're so used to not being open. And I thought there was one example of this that was perfect early on in the game where Jamal Murray catches the ball um, at the three-point line, has an, a, a tight window. It wasn't a big window, but it, the play called for him to get this shot off, and he hesitates for a second, and then the shot's no longer there. He recognizes it, takes one dribble in and shoots a floater, gets blocked, and it's an air ball. So um, Murray just – they've you have to tip your hat to the Clippers and what they're capable of doing defensively. They have completely eliminated him from the series to where he is a complete and total non-factor. And I'm not saying this to dog on the guy. He had a phenomenal game too, but in games one, three, and four now, he has. It's, it's not that it's been like, okay, they've reduced him to a lesser role. It's that he just doesn't have an impact on the game outside of a few passes and, and distracting from the defense a little bit, but not in a way that's impacting the Nuggets scoring as evidenced by their 85 points. Um, Michael Porter Jr. checked in, but at the exact same time as Torrey Craig because of Gary Harris's second foul. I don't want to give Malone a big pass on this because the Malone, I thought this was his worst game of the season, and I thought that really it was, you know, he's had a lot of these, I thought, in the playoffs, and this was a culmination of all of Malone's worst sort of characteristics, in my opinion. So this was a really, I'm not going to let him off the hook, but I do want to preface it by saying Gary Harris getting into foul trouble may have messed with the rotation that he had planned in his mind, which, again, didn't for me, my rotation doesn't involve Torrey Craig. I've been talking about this forever. It's very evident. He, Torrey Craig played more minutes in this game than he had in the previous two, but equal to what he played in game one. So you play him a lot of minutes, you get blown out in both of those games. Surprise, surprise. Um, so even, even how Malone handled that, I think, was, was tough. But when you just look at it and say, okay, maybe he was actually going to not go to that lineup, but he had to out of necessity. Um, so... There, there's at least a little bit of something there. And then Mason Plumley, he's averaging 7.6 fouls per 36 minutes in the in in the playoffs. That's the most of any player still playing, and it's the third most of anyone overall. Two players above him. Um, the the forward for the the Blazers only appeared in four games. I can't remember his name, Wayendi or something like something like that. Um, who, not surprised, doesn't play a lot of minutes, but he fouled a lot as well. And then some other player that only played two games. So for all intents and purposes, Mason Plumlee is fouling at a rate higher than anybody else in the NBA, and it's it's 7.6 fouls per 36 minutes. And I just don't know. I mean, we always talk about the energy. Torrey Craig, by the way, also fouling at an insane rate. We talk about all oh, the energy. He brings energy and he brings toughness. I just don't know if that that stuff actually has value because so often it's just putting teams in the bonus or just putting them on the foul line. And um, even in this game, the Clippers are getting a lot of their offense from the foul line. So uh, I just I don't buy into that axiom or, or whatever, that belief that, that fouls are about playing hard or this or that. So um, those kind of notes. The Nuggets start this game. I mean, they're down by double digits almost immediately. And in this, at the end of the first quarter, they have 12 points. It was all – and by the way, two of those points were Michael Porter who checked in there towards the end of that quarter, and he knocked down a, a tough sort of leaner um so the nuggets starters i think get 10 points out of them eight of those are Jokic. just an absolutely abysmal first quarter offensively and like i said you don't score that many points some of it was missing a few shots here or there but this was about denver being unprepared or incapable or both of breaking what it is that the clippers are throwing at them and i didn't feel like they did anything meaningfully different through their first uh, couple games it's the clippers made an adjustment and denver either has no answers or was not prepared to make answers um for those types of adjustments take a quick break here to tell you about breckenridge brewery our favorite brewery right now all kinds of eight beers eight different beers on tap at the dnvr bar because of course we are a breckenridge brewery bar unofficially but unofficially officially a breckenridge brewery bar and um 
they just got some great stuff right now. We, we're telling people about the Avalanche Amber Beer, uh, beer <laughs> Avalanche Amber Ale, because it's autumn, and autumn is for the ambers. The autumn flavored Avalanche Amber Ale is some incredible alliteration, and it fits the mood of, of Colorado these last few days. A little cloudy, a little dreary, a little cold. Excellent for that. You can also pick them up at King Supers, Costco. You can order. Call 303-803-1380 from 12 to 8 p.m. The Farmhouse. You can pick up. Use promo code DNVR when you do and save $5 whenever you go. And, of course, guys, you know this. This is the only beer I've been drinking now for, I don't know, the last year, basically, because they are Colorado OGs. They are DNVR OGs, and they're fantastic-tasting beers. Check them out. also want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook. That's right. You guys know this is our other major partner here, and we're very excited because football is here. Kicking off football's 101st season, DraftKings has the most ridiculous sport uh, giveaway, or I can't say giveaway, no-brainer bet that they're offering all users. Head on over to the app now because here's what you get. If you bet on the Kansas City Chiefs, their line for the opening week, this is this Sunday, is 101 points. So if the Kansas City Chiefs win their game or lose by 100 points or less, you win your bet. You cash out. There's no other strings attached, guys. This is the crazy deal. So head on over there to there right now. You're going to want to check it out. Plus, DraftKings is giving away $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. Survivor pools are fun. They're more fun to me than daily fantasy, fantasy, all that other stuff. I like survivor pools. It's easy. You just pick who's going to win. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to one. $100 million in giveaways. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get that can't-miss offer. Uh, again, eligibility restrictions apply. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast, Notebook Edition. I'm Adam Madez walking you through all of the details here. Don't forget, subscribe to DNVR. Both on YouTube, you can subscribe. That's free. Check out all of our shows. Um, we got awesome post-game shows across all beats and live recorded shows on, on there that you can be a part of. You can hop on the show. You can send us your comments. And then also subscribe. Become a DNVR member. Lots of cool stuff going on in DNVR here, especially in the coming weeks. You're not going to want to miss out. And right now, it's only $4.99 a month. All right. Getting back into these notes here. Second quarter begins. Couple rough first couple minutes to it, and then Mike Malone finally, finally goes to my favorite lineup that the Denver Nuggets have, and what I expect will be their starting lineup next next season. That is a lineup that features Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, and typically with with Gary Harris as the fifth one there, and he was there to begin this for this one, but he ends up picking up another foul and had to come out. But nonetheless, Malone goes to that five man unit. But it's really the foursome of Murray, Jokic, MPJ, and Jeremy Grant that I just like so much. And it's sad to me how little the Denver Nuggets have gotten that lineup now. It reminds me a lot, if you recall, it reminds me a lot of the previous two seasons ago when I talked about how much I really love the uh, Barton lineup with the starters, but we never got it. It was it was like Malone, you know, for whatever reason, it just went a whole season without getting a whole lot of minutes. It reminds me of that because to me it's so obvious that this is the future of the Nuggets, but also that I think it's Denver's best current lineup, even though it's you know there's some. Um, you know, even though there's some things about it that aren't perfect and it's just crazy to me that the Nuggets don't run to it. They've run to it now. Let me see. I think it's something like 88 minutes. I'm pulling it up on, on NBA.com right now. It has a 
plus 26 net rating in 88 minutes. Yeah, I was right. See, I've internalized these numbers. It's insane. 129 offensive rating, 103 defensive rating, plus 26 net rating, but only 88 minutes. It's only appeared very, very seldomly, and I think that's absolutely crazy that what I consider to be Denver's both best lineup and the lineup of their future, we don't get to see. But nonetheless, Nuggets throw that out there, and it looks incredible. What do you know? It actually comes back from this giant deficit. It felt like the Nuggets were dead in the water, um, and it only got three minutes, but it re- looked really, really good. Paul George fouls out. Nuggets get a lot of stops on that end, and they convert on the other end. And Paul George fouling out was a huge gift for Denver. You, you know, I, I think, and I've said this before, I think the Clippers are better than the Nuggets. So Denver has to be great and then get something, you know, take something away from the Clippers in order to win. And last night, getting Paul George on the bench after they had already been down, I think if he's in that game, as good as Denver played in that second quarter, I just don't think this game gets close. So the Denver Nuggets get a gift, but then they immediately give it back by Gary Harris picking up his third foul on the next play after that. So my dream lineup only gets three minutes, cuts into the lead a little bit, and then Gary Harris has to come out. And, of course, who's he replaced with? None other than Torrey Craig. And wouldn't you know it, even with Torrey Craig on the floor, this lineup cuts the lead all the way down to eight points to finish out, in large part because of Michael Porter Jr., who just caught fire in that second quarter. He scores, I believe, 13 of his 15 points. He got that buzz. I mean, basically, like the last play of the first quarter, he hits a bucket, and then he gets 13 in the second quarter. He was fantastic. Spaces the floor, provides another option. I mean, Denver's offense is just so stale, especially when they keep trying to hammer that same Jokic-Murray pick-and-roll with no activity off ball or posting Jokic up with no movement, no no creativity. And giving Michael Porter just another guy that can hit tough shots just gives them a whole new wrinkle, make rebounds, all that different thing. So he caught fire in this one. And I was, even though Torrey Craig was on there to kind of play spoiler, and I do believe he even in those minutes played spoiler. He had some crazy like illegal screen plays. He missed a, a dunk that should have been a wide open dunk. Um, even with him, the Nuggets were still sort of rolling in that second quarter. Um, when Michael Porter, and this is what it comes down to, because a lot of people have thrown this out. And at the end of the show, I'm going to talk a lot about Michael Porter and the comments and, and just kind of reassess all of that stuff. But you know, when he plays defense, the Denver Nuggets are great. I mean, not good. They're great. The problem is he doesn't play defense very consistently and he still gets lost. And, you know, there, this storyline about the like, you know, his offense and he needs to play more because he's that good and his defense is so bad he needs to be off the court. These two things are in conflict with each other and they're both true. Michael Porter makes a lot of really bad defensive errors and it costs the Nuggets easy like possessions where Denver's defended well for 15 seconds then Michael Porter just stops playing and somebody gets around him or you know something happy misses a rotation in the first second of a play and then now all of a sudden Denver's scrambling the rest of the time like this is Michael Porter he does do that a lot and he has to if if he is just this guy and look we've seen players like this Carmelo Anthony um you know you we've seen great great scorers who just never found it in them to become good defensive players and I think Michael Porter has all of the tools to become a great defensive player what he seems to lack is this like the both the will to be a great defender and also sort of um maybe just the awareness like and maybe those two things put go hand in hand he needs to learn how to guard in the nba he needs to be a step ahead of the offense not a step behind and he's just right now he's not there but he does have flashes of it and i thought in the second quarter he had flashes of being a good defender meaning it wasn't every play, but there were plays where it's like, oh, look at that. He's in the right spot. Oh, look at that. He's staying in front of a tough guy, you know, Kawhi Leonard or whatever. He's doing something good. So they're sprinkled in with all of the bad offense, but or bad defense. But 
he's so good and makes the Nuggets such a better player that there's just no question in my mind that the Nuggets aren't nearly as good of a team without him as they are with him. They just need him to be a great defensive player, and at the moment he's just way too inconsistent and usually bad, um, so that's the problem. Nuggets tied it, though. 48-48 open the third quarter in the first few minutes. You get Gary Harris back. You bring Millsap back on the court. You tie it 48-48, to um, which given how far Denver was down, I think 19 points in that first half, given how much they were down to be able to tie it at 48 was just absolutely incredible and then Gary Harris picks up his fourth foul so at 51 to 55 Clippers up four Gary Harris picks up his fourth foul and this was the inflection point We'd already been through this rodeo once in the first half. We'd already been through this rodeo once in the fourth quarter of game three. What is Michael Malone going to do? He inserts Torrey Craig into the lineup, and the rest is history. And I know I'm making this very reductive, guys. There's a lot of other things I would love to talk to, the little nuances, the little details, and I'm going to mention them, and they're going to be on the list. But it's cut and dry. Torrey Craig and Paul Millsap on the court, given how the Clippers are defending the Nuggets, saying we're not going to let Jokic beat us, we've completely erased Jamal Murray. The other players you put on the court are so essential for getting through these double te- these hard double teams that the Clippers are throwing at them. And instead, Michael Malone goes with Torrey Craig, Paul Millsap, and an ice-cold Jeremy Grant. I mean, some of this would be mitigated if Jeremy Grant would just shoot like he has all throughout the season other than these last three games. But instead, um, Michael Malone goes with Torrey Craig. <coughs> Nuggets have just not nearly enough offense on the court to make up for whatever it is they're doing. And as much as I think Malone would love to point to and say, well, look, we held them to 96 points. There's something here. It wasn't this lineup. This lineup that Malone loves, his crutch, his his safety blanket lineup, throwing Torrey Craig into there with Paul Millsap, they gave up a 12-0 run immediately. I mean, it was within two minutes. And on the offensive end, you get, in this moment, so it's 55-51. I think the Clippers come down and score. Jeremy Grant gets an open three, misses. The Clippers go down and score. Torrey Craig gets an open three, misses. Clippers go down and score. Then Jeremy Grant gets another three and misses. It was three three three-pointers in a row, all misses. And it's funny because I always hear, like, you know, the broadcast team or I look on Twitter, Nuggets are settling for three-pointers. What do you expect? Jamal Murray's canceled. They've put enough physicality and great defenders on him to completely take him out. And, unfortunately, Murray just hasn't been able to overcome it. And Nikola Jokic, who's been fantastic in this series, absolutely dominant, they're just throwing as many bodies as they can and crowding the paint. And I have clips up on the on thednvr.com on the list showing what is Jokic supposed to do here? Dribble into the triple team and take a contested shot here? Not only is that not his game, it would have been dumb. And Denver goes from 51-55, throw Craig in there, Two minutes later, it's 65-53. to 53. Denver scored one basket, and they gave up 10, 10 straight points. And it was – I mean, the game was over then. Denver had already clawed back from one um, – from one deficit now they have to crawl back too and by the way that one basket that they make a jamal murray isolation step back jumper over i believe paul george and it rattled in it was like a lucky isolation nuggets ran a play didn't work and then murray has to make something out of nothing and he managed to do it but so denver just absolutely destroyed in that sequence and it was the game and it was so predictable i mean you guys have listened to the show for me all year long when i've talked about this and it's not even all year 
even before joining DNVR over at the Locked On Nuggets podcast, over at Denver Stiffs, I have talked about Torrey Craig and Malone's insistence on playing him next to Jokic in lineups that completely screw it up. And it's just, it's not at all surprising that that's where they went. And it's even less surprising that the game completely collapsed, not once, but twice under those circumstances. And it's incredibly frustrating. Um, Jamal Murray in the fourth quarter. I mean, Nuggets, you have to tip your hat to them. They battled to the very end on rewatch. I thought this game was not nearly as close as when I was watching live and they cut it to, you know, they end up only losing by, I think, 11 points. Um, they cut it to nine at one point, but that was too late. They were down 20 points at one point in this fourth quarter. It really wasn't close. Um, Jamal Murray was completely ineffective. You could tell he was trying to, like, just say, F it, I'm going to go for it. Uh, I'm going to take tough shots because, you know, at that point, Denver needed it. They're down double-digit points. They needed somebody just to make impossible shots. And it just was kind of – it wasn't even close. I mean, they were so – they swallowed him up so much. He was throwing turnovers to the referee. He was just – he was the, the – you have to tip your hat to the Clippers. They've completely taken him out of this series. Um and by the way, there was a lot of people, even in the Denver media, who were talking about Jamal Murray has become the alpha. Uh, Nikola Jokic going up against Rudy Gobert, the best defensive center in the NBA, and he puts up only, I'm putting air quotes up, only 26 points on 50-50-85 sh shooting. 50% from the field, 48% from the three-point line, 85% from the uh, free throw line. Those were his splits against the best defensive center in the NBA. And oh, by the way, Jamal Murray was fantastic. He was transcendent. He goes for two 50-point games. He was incredible. And that was all the evidence apparently some people needed to say oh Jamal Murray is now the guy and I love Jamal Murray he was no questions asked the guy in that series and I think that he is one of the guys that is going to get Denver to be the best version of themselves but it's wild to me that people can watch Jokic especially here in Denver it's a national media whatever they you know I don't, I don't blame them because I know how hard their job is and, and whatever they don't care about Denver but the guys locally saying, oh, Murray is now the team's best player. It's insane to me that you can erase five seasons of, of evidence for this. Um, clearly, we're seeing now that Jokic has the easier matchup. He's been dominant. Jamal Murray now has the tough matchup. He's completely – not just a little erased, completely erased, and it's it's a little frustrating. It's, it's possible that some of our Jamal Murray sort of love from last round, while he was great and you'll never take that away from him, might have been a little bit premature, and I hate to say that. I don't take any, any joy out of saying that. There are certain players that there is no one that can shut them down. Someone They can only slow them. And then there are players that can be shut down. And unfortunately, it looks like Murray is, is still in that second sort of group. You know, he can be erased in a series. Although, again, I think the Nuggets could have done some things offensively. They're clearly more worried about their defense than their offense. And their defense showed up, but their offense was nowhere close. So there's some things they could have done to open things up for him. Um and then down 13 with 10 minutes left, and, and finally with 10 minutes left, Malone goes back to his best lineup. And it's kind of frustrating because if you look at the net rating, I guess, for Denver, I mean, or the plus-minus, that lineup I love was only, air quotes again, only a plus three. But again, they were a huge plus in the first half, and then the second half, or actually they were a small plus because they only got three minutes in the first half and then played them even throughout the fourth quarter. But at that point, you're down 20 points. I think it's unrealistic to expect him to come back. So it was frustrating. On the other side, I want to talk about what all this means, though, for the Denver Nuggets, because to me, this felt like I don't want to say a watershed moment or anything like that. But to me, I do feel like I have all of the evidence I need for a lot of these different moving parts. And I, like I said, Part of what's so frustrating about this was that it was the least surprising thing, both what choices the team made and how those choices, what the result of those choices were. But we'll talk about that on the other side. First, going to tell you about WGT Golf. You guys know this. We've been playing it for forever over here at DNVR. It's the mobile golf game you can download on, the, on your phone. 
And it's a lot of fun. It's so popular. We got that third clubhouse going. Each clubhouse holds 250. So we're almost at 750 DNVR members participating. You can right now download it by going to dnvrgolf.com. It's a realistic free golf. It's free, guys. You get to play it with 20 million players around the world. You can tell your friends about it. Have them sign up um, and join the DNVR clubhouse. I actually just got access to the clubhouse. So now I get to be the course creator for all of these tournaments. I'm so excited about that. In fact, rem reminds me. I need to create one for tomorrow. Um, but it's going to be, it's a lot of fun, guys. You can play all the different courses, very realistic game, incredible simulations, perfect. It's actual photos of these courses, so it's gorgeous. And it's just a really fun game that you can play. I'm not a big video game guy. What I like about this one is I can sit down and play for five minutes. If I'm like at you know an airport waiting for this or that or somewhere, I, d I don't have to say like, oh, I'm getting into a game. It's going to be 30, 45 minutes. Nope. Hop in, play one hole against somebody I know or against a stranger or against somebody in the DNVR clubhouse. Get in, get out, and it's a lot of fun. So check it out. D uh, WGT Golf and go to dnvrgolf.com to check it out. And then lastly, guys, MSU <coughs> Denver Online. You guys know all about it. They're helping people that want to have a career change, maybe further their education, um, just get back into school, maybe 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 uh, you know make an impact, inspired by something that's going on in the world. And you say, you know what, I want to insert myself into that and and get training for that. And that's what they provide, a dynamic education at your fingertips. But that doesn't force you to earn a degree or choose between earning a degree and living your life. It's the Colorado Institution providing rigorous and affordable. This is a big thing, affordable. College has gotten so crazy expensive. Affordable online programs taught by actual professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. So you're going to want to check it out, uh, everything they have to offer, guys. MSU Denver online. So here's the tough part about this because we didn't talk about this very much on last game's uh, winners or losers lounge, but Michael Porter after the game, everybody's heard the comments by now. He talked about, you know, he kind of threw his teammates and his coach a little bit under the bus. He was clearly frustrated, um, but he talked about, you know, I didn't touch the ball in the fourth quarter, which by the way was literally true. Not figuratively, not like I didn't get a lot of touches. It was literally true that he did not touch the ball in the uh, in the fourth quarter of that game on the offensive end of the court. The only time he and this, the only time he touched the ball was on a turnover that Gary Harris threw to him off of a cut, but it was so late he could just barely get like one finger on it, and it was a turnover. He didn't touch it in the half court. And going back and rewatching the game, you know. So I think this is actually I'm going to save that I'm going to, I'm going to say that so he was frustrated there but then he also called out Jamal and Jokic specifically well, first of all he said that's up to coach in the play calls you know coach calls the plays and I didn't touch the ball so they weren't calling my play and then it's you know then he also threw under the bus Jokic and Jamal saying they're great players but the defense knows what we're going to do again true and that we just keep running that two-man game but we need to do something else because they're sitting on it which is also true. The problem, and I talked about this a little bit last night, but I want to get into it now because this is a big story. Um, it doesn't have to be a lingering story, but it is a big story in this moment. Michael Porter Jr. threw teammates and a coach under the bus in a post-game press conference. He might not have intended to. He might have wanted to say something more soft. You might even be sitting there saying, well, he's not wrong. Guys, I just spent this whole podcast talking about how frustrated I was with Michael Malone and his decision and where he goes with his lineups. I've been frustrated all year with Michael Malone. I think this is probably... <laughs> it's hard to say, but it might be his worst coaching performance when, you know, now how the season is playing out. 
in that I just feel like the team could have gone a different direction this year and they would be in a better position now than what they are, um, including in the series, but even more importantly, long term. So I, I no shortage of criticism from Michael Malone. But Michael Porter Jr. has to understand the dynamics of a team and just how fragile that that is. It's been one of the eye-opening things in talking to George Carl, um, it, you know, it, hearing how much trust is so important. We don't talk about trust a lot. We talk about the X's and O's. We talk about lineup fit. But do you trust? Do you have the trust of your teammates, and do you trust your teammates? And Michael Porter Jr. Not only in sort of the way he plays and, you know, defensively the mistakes he makes, offensively there was a clip Harrison Wynn shared on Twitter where it was his last offensive touch where he dribbles it I think 13 times, goes up, takes two shots because he gets blocked both times, and you could see Murray and Jokic both visibly frustrated with like, what's this dude doing? Every time he's on the court he's just a freelancer. So um, there's already that sort of, (coughs) I, I, I think, a little bit of a shaky trust between Michael Porter and his teammates to begin with. And when you come out and have a comment like that to the media, it's just a huge no-no. It's a huge no-no. I've seen people say, well, it's honest. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad the Nuggets need somebody like that. It's true. But behind closed doors, guys, there's such a difference between what do you say to your coach, to your teammates? Are you willing to call out? Are you willing to do the tough conversation, have those tough conversations? Are you willing to do that behind closed doors versus are you doing that in public? There's a huge difference. They're completely different things. They're not even the same thing. So um, this was a big mistake from Michael Porter, but I want to address – so I don't know where you go from here. I worry that we might have a Jokic three-field goal attempt game in game five. It would be – you know, sadly, Jokic has responded to these types of things when Malone has sort of called him out publicly. Malone has come out in games and just not shot or done this or that. He can be kind of petulant in that way, and I worry that we're going to get that from Jokic in game five. Um, I hope not. I, I I worry also that you're just going to get like, you know, Michael Porter's putting an enormous amount of pressure on himself. Now, if he does get a lot of shots, what if he has a, a night where he struggles like before? I mean, all, all of these things, but so we get past that. I think it was there's no argument in my mind to be made. He did not. He did the wrong thing by bringing this to the media, and he was clearly emotionally just frustrated, and that frustration boiled over. And guys, I get this. I do the DNVR post game shows immediately after the games, and I, then I'll go back and do Locked On Nuggets a couple hours later. And I always feel like my immediate reaction after the game is almost always different two, three, four hours later, even before I've rewatched the game. And then I go back the next day and I watch the film and I feel like my takes are even even more different. I think that's natural. I've talked to enough NBA coaches who talk about that. I can't remember who it was I was talking to. Maybe it was somebody in the front office where I said, you know, I, I'm not very good at watching the game live and recognizing, you know, all of the different like details or this or that. And they go, oh, good, because that makes you a normal basketball person like, like all of us are, including scouts, where we have to watch the film and we have to like get into the details to really absorb what was going on. So Michael, Michael Porter, I think, being asked that right after the game, very frustrated, and he had a bad moment, in my opinion. I hope that today, the Nuggets didn't practice today, I hope that today he woke up in a different headspace. I hope that he realized why, not what he said, but how he said it was was wrong and how it could cause friction. And I hope he learns from it. He's young enough that I think you – I don't want to bury the kid for this and say like, oh, my God, you got to – I saw a lot of people saying you got to trade him now or like what – no, like Michael Porter is Denver's ticket to a championship. If he doesn't develop, I just don't see it happening for Denver. Um but this was a thing where it's like, okay, this is a very tough uh, situation he put himself in, and I hope he grows and learns from it. By the way, 
there's just I've seen a lot of people say, well, like, you know, compare it to Zion or this or like Zion. Guys, Jokic is in such a unique position. I'm sorry, Michael Porter is in such a unique position because he is quite possibly a number one option even on this team very, very soon. Maybe as early as next year or the year after. He is that good. And I don't mean like Jokic will always be the fulcrum, but I just mean he could be the number one scorer next year and I would not be that surprised. He's that talented of a player. But it's rare for a player with his talent to be thrown into a team that's already established, has established young players. And, I mean, sometimes we've seen it where the young players come in for the veteran, you know, the 31, 32-year-old's the star, but here comes the 22-year-old who might be better. We've seen that. Murray's one year older than him. Jokic is three years older than him. Um, they're all still young, and there's it's a really, really strange dynamic, and this is why I talk about some of the frustrations that we're seeing from him and from the Nuggets and some of their shortcomings are really, in my opinion, a more broad story about how this entire season was handled from the coaching staff and from the team as a whole. It, you could even say from the front office. And, you know, everybody that sort of assembled a roster that put the Nuggets in this position, because let's be honest, the Denver Nuggets need Michael Porter Jr. to be a true contender, even this season. Um, I think the Nuggets are probably finishing where they belong. Should they lose this series, it's probably where they belong. Just slightly better than the Utahs and the Oklahoma Cities and the, at, at least currently the Dallases and even Portlands. Just slightly better than those teams but not better than the Clippers, the Lakers, the Heat, the Celtics, the teams in that top tier. That certainly feels like it. I do think with Michael Porter, they can be. And maybe it was unrealistic to expect him to develop, although I don't think so. He just was never given that opportunity this season. And now you're in a position, and, and by the way, it's not just that you didn't put him in position to succeed at all throughout the course of the season. The Nuggets entered this bubble and at least presented him as the reason they were going to be competitive in here. And then it turns out, okay, we didn't build the proper foundation with him throughout the course of the season, and now all of these issues are coming to light. So to me, this is a much more nuanced and complicated issue. I don't think that what he said, like this is open shut case. He did, should never have said this. This was wrong of him, and it's going to cause friction. It's going to cause new obstacles for him and the team that he does not realize yet, um, and it can really become a problem for him. But if you just talk about where we are, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, I think, do have a hard time integrating him to the offense. I do think they don't trust him and sometimes don't pass to him. And, you know, he, he feels, it almost feels like the Nuggets have the Murray-Jokic team and then they have Michael Porter who adds points. And um, that's, it's an unhealthy, it's it's a, it's a situation that is slowly, I'm not saying it's racing in an unhealthy direction, but it's slowly unhealthy and we're seeing it fray a little bit here. And I think that that has as much to do with with how he was handled throughout the season. And I actually think it is the defining trait of this season. If you whittled every season down to one thing and say, what was the most important thing that happened this year? To me, it would be Michael Porter Jr. arrived, but didn't play. He was part of the team and it was clear he was one of the best players on the team and one of the most important players going forward on the team but they didn't develop in any meaningful way or, or, or in many meaningful ways. And now you're in the situation where the season might end because of it. But more than just this season, you're starting off on a very uncomfortable foot. It gives me a little bit of Nurkic vibes, right? Nurkic came back as well, didn't play a whole lot that first season that Jokic was here. And then you had a little bit of friction. Malone flew out to Bosnia to say like, hey, I would, let's repair this relationship. Let's get together and make this thing work. And then the next season came in and there was a little bit more friction and everything fell apart. I'm not saying that I think the Nuggets are far from there, but it does give off those little bit of vibes of, hey, when you don't do things right and you create that friction early on, 
it's just a tough foundation to build on. So, again, I don't want to sound the alarm. I think the Nuggets are going to figure this out. I think that they're I, Michael Porter Jr. is too valuable of a player for that type of conflict to to ruin it. But that to me, that was a very meaningful m- moment, his post-game comments. The fact that he said it, what he was saying, and just how it was received by everyone, you know, uh, other players. <laughs> you want to know how crazy it is? Jordan McRae, who freaking, like, blew up on the team and just, like, demanded basically to be off of this roster, said Michael Porter Jr. was wrong and he should have kept it in the locker room. So this guy who hates, for whatever, you know, Jordan McRae, who hates, presumably, hates Malone and hated being on this team, even he is like, yo, youngin, you got to watch yourself. So um, that just shows you how out of line he was. But at the same time, to me, it is a culmination of the single most important story from the season. And sadly, to be, it is largely a story of failure, not a story of success or promise. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Going to be back tomorrow, Friday night. I hope it's not the last game. I hope we get at least one more winner's lounge out of this series and out of this season. But we're going to see. I don't feel too optimistic about it. We'll see what happens. We'll see everybody then. Before we get out of here, I want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood, Colorado. The best damn family-owned dentist in all of Colorado. And they're huge Denver sports fans, just like all of us. We tell you all the time, but Lindsay went there. She got her wisdom teeth removed. Said it was easy, painless. One of the best dental experiences she's ever had in her life. It's funny because I had mine like 10, 15 years ago removed, and it was the worst experience of my life. Wish I would have gone to Green Mountain Dental Group. It's also awesome because if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. And tweet at us when you do. Let us know that you're going there and supporting this proud DNVR partner and proud Colorado-owned, family-owned business. The first step to good health is taking care of your mouth. So schedule your cleaning, x-ray, and exam and get a free Sonicare toothbrush. Completely change your life.